as we start our series in Luke, I'd really urge you during the week to take the Gospel of Luke and to start reading it through for yourself. And see how many times you can get through it. And I don't mean speed reading, I mean actual reading. So that you can just go through it. Because the more we read something, the more it kind of goes into us. And especially God's Word. Because it's a living Word. The more we read it, the more it changes us. As the Holy Spirit does His work. And so I'd ask you to, with me, go through this book. Let's get familiar with it. Because we're going to be in here for quite a while. And I'll speak a little bit about that later. But the question that comes up right throughout this book of Luke that you'll be challenged with right from the start, right from today, is this one. What do you believe about Jesus? And how do you know that what you believe is true? I'll repeat that. What do you believe about Jesus? And how do you know that what you believe about Him is true? In the series which I've entitled Follow Me from Jesus' words in chapter 5 verse 27 when he called um, Matthew, he said, follow me. And Matthew upped and followed. My prayer is that we, as we come to know this Lord Jesus, will also follow him. Because when you get to know Jesus, you can't but start following him. As I've said, this is the longest book in the New Testament. Exactly 1,151 verses. Now, don't fear. I'm not going to go into every single verse in detail. That isn't the way the book was written. That isn't the way Jesus taught. We are going to be looking at thought units called pericopes. There's your word for the day. Pericopes, like periscope without the S. We're going to be looking at thought units because that is the way Jesus taught his parables. That is the way he taught his disciples in chunks of ideas. And then he illustrated. So we are not going every verse. What you'll also notice about the book of Luke is that it is a narrative of events. It tells a story. And there are many stories we're going to be looking at in this book. But at the same time, it is also an orderly record. It is an account, an accurate account of the life of Jesus from A to Z. If you're American, A to Z. And so as we get a little bit of background on this book, let's turn to the reason why Luke wrote this. And we find that in Luke chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. Luke chapter 1. Verses 1 to 4. Why did he write this narrative? His own words. Chapter 1, verse 1. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. 
Now turn with me to the book of Second Luke. Okay, its other name is Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, written by the same author, and it just follows on this book. It just where the one ends, Acts picks up. Same author, second book. How do I know that? In Acts chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, this is what the Apostle Luke writes. Sorry, what Luke writes. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. And so in those verses he describes what he did in the first book. Let's get a little bit of background. We need some background and this today is going to be all about background to this book. Next time we're going to pick up from the birth of John the Baptist as it's foretold, verse 5. But today we're going to be looking at a little bit of background on the book of Luke. Now, having said that, we've only got so much time because volumes and volumes and volumes have been written on this book. And if you want any more, I've given you some website references. Look in the bulletin for that. And I'll put links on our website. You can go and click on there and get tons of information. And it's really good if you want to, to go and get that information and to start studying it for yourself. But who was Luke, firstly? We're going to do the who, what, when and where questions now. All right? Who was Luke? He was a person from Antioch in the province of Syria. He was a Greek, therefore, and a Gentile. And he, interestingly, is the only non-Jewish contributor to the New Testament. How do we know he's Greek? Well, he refers to the Hebrew, to the Hebrew language as their language in Acts chapter 1 verse 19. I'm just going to give you a few of the proofs. He was very careful to instruct his readers on not just their geography, but also the customs of the Jews in Palestine. We also know that Luke was a physician by profession. Colossians 4.14. The Apostle Paul writes from Rome to Colossae. These are his words. Luke, the beloved physician and Demas greet you. So now we know he's a doctor. So we'll call him Doc from now on. No, we won't. And also, he gives very accurate descriptions of people and also their symptoms when they're sick. Interesting, you can't help but be who you are. We know that he was a convert. We're not sure when that conversion happens, but it seems to have been during the early Christian outreach to Antioch. Before the, apostles, before the rest of the apostles got there. But at the moment of his writing, he is a disciple of the apostles. And later, Luke accompanied Paul on his various missionary journeys, the second and the third journey, included, including being shipwrecked with Paul. That must have been an interesting experience. And also, he stuck faithfully with Paul when all others forsook Paul, when Paul was taken prisoner. And he even was there during Paul's martyrdom in Rome. We find records of that. I can't go through all those proofs with you this morning. All indications show that he was unmarried and that he didn't have any children. And so he could devote a whole lot of his time to interviewing all these various eyewitnesses to the life of Jesus. And also he could travel around with the apostle, Paul. 
early non, non-biblical writings from 160 AD indicate that Luke died at the ripe old age of 84. And the description given to him is this. He died at 84 full of the Holy Spirit. What a way to go. So there is a picture of a faithful worker. Now Luke states himself he was not an eyewitness to Jesus. He didn't see Jesus himself. He didn't hear Jesus' direct words himself. He didn't see anything about Jesus' work himself. But he got acquainted with Jesus. He got acquainted with all, with all Jesus' works and words through eyewitnesses. He interviewed people extensively. He knew about the earlier accounts of Matthew, the Gospel according to Matthew and Mark. The Gospel according to Matthew written in Judea and for a Jewish audience and from a Jewish perspective. And also Mark written in Italy and from a Roman perspective. A little different. He interviewed people right across the board and got the information. Witnesses who had seen Jesus with their own eyes and heard his teaching with their own ears. He does careful research and then compiles his records. And he had been trained in scholarly methods. As a physician, he had been trained to do that. And so he uses those techniques to record this accurate transcription of the life of Jesus. And he does it also in Greek, which is very accurate when it comes to usage of words, usage of very particular words to to convey particular truth. So he does it in Greek as well which stands us in good stead later when the Bible is translated. And just a a passing interest, I'm always amazed how the Holy Spirit uses us, but He allows us to be individuals. And we even see that in Luke, as in his writing, we see that he has this deep passion for the sea and sailing. Interesting, it comes out as you study it. He gives very graphic and technically accurate descriptions of sea voyages, even to techniques used as they were sailing. Interesting. So the Holy Spirit uses us, but He allows us, our personalities, to still shine through, and even here in Luke. So that's just a little bit, and I stress that again, a little bit about who Luke was. There is tons more. Secondly, when was this written? Just to put you in the historical perspective. By all records, and we have very accurate records, because of events that he describes, This must have been written around about AD 62, after the events of Acts 28 take place. Where did this take place? Where did he write his book? In the district of Achaia, which was in southern Greece, round about where Athens and Corinth are now. That was where he was based mainly, and then he would work out from there. And we also know from those times that um, they lived under Roman occupation. The Romans came through in 27 B.C., And they conquered this area. And so he's writing from under Roman occupation. And that comes out through his writing too. What did he write? Well, it's very obvious when you read the first um, words in the, the book of Luke that he wrote a letter to a specific person. This is an accurate record and a description of the life of Christ from John the Baptist right through until the ascension of Jesus. And it's written specifically to a person. Who is that? Theophilus. 
He gives him a literal, a literally a from top to bottom report of Jesus and his dealings. Theophilus, he calls him most excellent Theophilus. That tells us quite a few things. It says that Theophilus was Greek, that he was a Gentile, that he was wealthy because of the titles given to him, that he had great social standing in the community. It tells us that he was an important official in the Roman government and that we know from other writings he was converted. And Theophilus was sitting under Christian teaching, but he needed certainty in his life. And so, the, so, and so Luke sets out to give him that certainty by showing him more about Jesus Christ. By all accounts, Theophilus was the one who commissioned Luke to go and do this research. And that meant he would have to pay his salary. So Luke was um, paid by him to go and do this. He would have paid the costs for the journeys and he would also have paid to have the handwritten copies made later. And so he must have been a man of means. So that's a little bit about Theophilus and Luke. Now, we're going to look at why. What was the immediate purpose? Why did he write this? I've already mentioned that. What was it? To strengthen Theophilus in his faith. Luke was very well aware of Matthew and Mark, which had been written, and he wasn't trying to do a better job. He was trying to give a holistic picture of who Jesus was. You see, Matthew and Mark were written from perspectives to specific audiences with a specific idea in mind. But he wanted to give a holistic picture of who Jesus was and who, what he said and what he taught. Why? So that Theophilus can have some certainty in his faith. And so he writes to him, yes, from a Gentile perspective, free of Jewish, Jewish myths and heresies that were, so, uh, uh, that were abounding at that time, but he writes and he gives him facts as he sees them and as he hears from these witnesses. More general purpose, he wants to give genuine seekers of the truth certainty as well. He wants to put the truth of Jesus Christ and his words before them and say, now believe. Be strengthened in your faith as believers. You see, during that time, there were many Gentile converts that were coming out. And many of them were astonished at what Jesus had done, but they weren't fully assured in their faith. Many of them were surprised at who this Jesus was and all these miracles he had performed, but they hadn't completely surrendered themselves to him. Very much the same as today. Many people read God's word and they're surprised at the life of Jesus. They're surprised at these miracles but they aren't convicted by them. Many Christians read the word over and over and over, but you still do not have assurance. And that is what the book of Luke is for. It is to give you that assurance of your faith. And then his ultimate purpose, to reach all nations for Christ through the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. What is Luke's major theme we're nearly through with the background, so hang on with me, okay? What is his major theme? What is this book all about? He emphasizes one main aspect, and you will find this coming out through this gospel as we look at the gospel of Luke. He emphasizes Jesus as the, 
the God-sent Savior of all mankind. When you see the picture of Jesus as Luke describes him to us, you will see that Jesus came with a purpose and God sent him with a mission to fulfill. What was that? To seek and to save the lost. And so Luke devotes over a hundred verses just to the birth of Jesus. It's very important to him. Just to the birth of Jesus and to John the Baptist, the prophet who foretold this. And he shows that Jesus was not only born, but that he was sent by God. Jesus came with a task to perform and he came with a task assigned to him by the Father. And he notes that in Luke 22, verse 29. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That is the central theme of the book. He came to seek and to save the lost. And if you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ here this morning, I urge you to come back and to sit through these studies in Luke. Because as you come to grips with who Jesus was and what he did, that calling might come out to you too. Because Jesus came to to die for you as well. He came to seek and to save the lost. Luke goes on to describe how Jesus went about that task of seeking and saving the lost. From his birth, right through to his teachings, even into his prayer life. He gives us great detail on Jesus' prayer life. He tells us about the miracles that Jesus performed. In great detail, he goes through the suffering that Jesus went through and even his death. And he records the moment when Jesus died. As a physician, he knew the signs. And he tells us Jesus died. He tells us too, the physician tells us Jesus was resurrected from the dead and he ascended to heaven and is coming again one day. So everything goes to prove that Jesus is who he says he is, the Son of Man. And he records it for us faithfully. So that's all background I'm going to do. If you want more, I'm sorry, I'm not going to give you any more at this stage. You need to go to the internet and look it up. You need to go to our website and look it up. But why is this book important to us? I want to point four things. Why is it important that we study this book together, the book of Luke? Firstly, we note that it's a book of doctrine. The book of Luke, through the Lord Jesus Christ, tells us what to believe. And that is why we should study it today. It tells us what to believe. You see, man's problem, originating way back in Genesis with Adam, is still with him today. And it's with you and I as we sit here this morning. And that is, we are all born in sin. And we are all in darkness when we are born in sin. And so the ultimate question for you and I, whether we admit it or not, is this. How can a man be made right or made just before God? If we are born into sin, how can we be made right with God again? Job struggled with that in Job chapter 9 verse 2. And what the book of Luke points out to us through the teachings of Jesus is that man, what man needs is to believe in truth. We've got to believe in truth if we want to be saved. And Luke's gospel presents itself as a book of truth. It points to the source of all truth, Jesus Christ. And it shows us what must I do to be saved. And if you're not saved here today, I want you to listen to this. Already this comes from the book of Luke to you. What must I do to be saved? Jesus points it out over and over. 
I must confess my sinfulness to God and I must implore Him for His grace and His mercy. Luke chapter 18. I must believe that the grace and the mercy can only be found in one person, no other, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ and His work for me. Jesus points that out over and over in this book. You see, Satan's aim, and also pointed to in Luke, is that he doesn't want to see sinners believing in truth, and as a result they won't be saved. Chapter 8, verse 12. And so it's imperative that we are persuaded by truth, not by clever arguments. We need to be persuaded by truth so that we know what we believe and we know what we base our lives on is truth. And I want to stop there this morning and ask you this. Is what you believe based on truth? Is what you base your life on, the way you live your life every day, is that based on truth or is it just based on what you think is truth? It is very important. Otherwise, one day you're going to wake up and find out that everything you believed, everything you based your life on was an untruth. We need to make sure that what we believe is true. And Luke is going to help us through the life of Jesus. See, there are many today, both professionals and lay people, who see the Christian faith as just this leap, a leap into the dark. You ask people, why do you believe? And they say, well... I don't know. It's because I believe. It's a leap into the dark. An arbitrary decision that you have to embrace. And you see, when unbelievers look at us and they see us giving a reason for our faith like that, this wishy-washy, giving a reason for our faith, they say, well, why should I believe? We need to know why we believe. Otherwise, the accusation that Christians just believe in old fairy stories will stand for you. And to others, they give this reason. You ask them why they believe and they'll say, now please hear me carefully. The Holy Spirit just tells me what to say and shows me what's true. Well, yes, that is true. And I'm not going to denigrate the work of the Spirit here, so please listen to me this morning. But that isn't a good enough reason to say why you believe. You need to base what you believe on truth. And Luke says that faith is understanding truth and then the Spirit uses that truth and changes us. Piper said it like this. Luke is not content with the evidence that Theophilus has already been taught. And he does not merely pray for God to tell Theophilus that all is true. Luke undertakes a very heavy intellectual task. He writes a 52 chapter book to prove his point. And that is what we have to look at as well. Luke was eager to encourage just the opposite of blind, of a blind leap of faith. He said you need to understand why you believe and then believe. And so yes, there comes a point when one takes a leap of faith from spiritual unbelief to spiritual belief in Christ and what he can and has accomplished. But it's always based on the knowledge of Christ. And that is why it's imperative that you need to know what you believe. You need to know why you are in a state of sin. You need to know it from Scripture. You need to know what can be done to save you. It is in Scripture. But you need to go and look at the truth. It doesn't help just thinking, I'll believe. Many people have done that and then they're off on tangents through their lives and, the, and Satan leads, leads them off. 
And they stay in the unbelief the whole lives until the end of their lives. We need to know what's true. And that's where the Holy Spirit comes in. He starts the initial work in us. He starts drawing us to God. He lifts the scales from our eyes. He turns us from a state of rebellion and a state of darkness to a state of being alive before God. He gives us understanding of these spiritual truths. And many times you'll speak to unbelievers and they'll say to you, I've read this hundreds of times, but it doesn't make sense to me. The Holy Spirit needs to give that understanding. And then He turns your unbelief into belief. He turns mere verses in the Bible into heart-changing, arrow-piercing truth. Have you experienced those moments? You read God's Word and it's if those pages leap out of the Bible at you, straight into your heart. And you think, why haven't I seen this before? That's the Spirit doing His work. Yes, we need the Holy Spirit. We need Him to cast His light. To, the old word is to illumine Scripture for us. And then to plant that truth in us and bring that change. So yes, it's a book of doctrine. We need to know what to believe. But that means we need to do our homework. And that is why I asked you to read through Luke as often as you can. Get to know this book. Secondly, it is a book of ethics. It doesn't just tell us what to believe. Luke tells us how to live. How do we live a holy life before God? You see, if God doesn't show us how to live, there is no way that we can think it up ourselves. We cannot. God has to show us how to live. And so Jesus does through his teachings. He does it all the time. And Luke stresses through Jesus' words and his example, he stresses things like humility, gratitude, giving honor to God where honor is due to God, and that is for everything, and being helpful and serving each other, believers and the unsaved. Luke brings out these through the teachings of Jesus. You see, the world that Jesus entered was a world very much like ours. You might think it was in Bible times and that 2012 is different, but no. The world Jesus entered had class distinctions. It had barriers, racial barriers. It had national barriers. It had social and sexual barriers. And Jesus came to show that it is only by self-sacrificing love that those barriers can be broken down in Him. And that all our actions must be done to God's glory. And then we will see this world around us changed. And so it is a book telling us how to live. Thirdly, we see that the book of Luke is a book of comfort. And if you're going through hard times this year, take note of this book that we'll be reading through. Take note of Jesus' words. It is a book that teaches believers why we are to rejoice. Luke reiterates the necessity and the privilege of rejoicing. And I'll repeat that. It is a necessity to rejoice in the Lord. It is a privilege to rejoice in the Lord. And if you're not rejoicing in the Lord as you start this year, you need to go back to your relationship with the Lord and say, what's wrong, Lord? Why am I not rejoicing in you? There's something that's stopping that. And usually, and every time, it will be sin in your life. Go and look in your life. Luke begins his book with five songs and he ends with continual praises to God, chapter 24. He even describes God as rejoicing 
in the saved sinner's joy. And when we come to the Lord, God rejoices with us. The angels rejoice, the seraphim and the cherubim and all the angels rejoice with us. All those who are already in heaven rejoice when another sinner is saved. And so Luke describes it for us. What a contrast to the world we live in. You switch on the news, what a, what a difference to the, the world that it can be through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Fourthly, it's a book of prophecy. This is the exciting one for me too, informing us what to expect. You know, we can live our lives if we know what's going to happen. And I don't mean in detail, I know the, the end results. We know where we're going. Luke reveals that the prophecy of Isaiah 53 to those Jews and to everyone living at that time was fulfilled in Christ and that he is therefore the promised Redeemer. He spells it out in great clarity. But he doesn't stop there. Luke writes to you and I too that are living now so many thousands of years later and he shows us that Jesus will come again unexpectedly. Chapter 12, verse 35. He is coming again. There is a life to come. He will reward the faithful, those who have been serving him in this life. He will We will all experience joy, which will be so much more than what we can even now think about or even imagine. Luke already spells it out so many thousands of years earlier. It is a book looking forward. And so I invite you as we go through this book of Luke, be excited about what we are going to discover as Jesus himself tells us what is to come. And so I ask you this, uh, this morning, in conclusion, and I mean that in conclusion, are you up for the challenge of Luke? If you think it's just going to be another book and we're just going to study it and we're going to go through and come in and go out and it's all going to be the same. No. Are you up for the challenge of this book? You see, you're going to be challenged. Where do you anchor your certainty in truth? If you say you're certain about truth, where do you anchor that certainty? Is it in Jesus and his teachings? If not, then it's just in your own beliefs. And those will be challenged. Secondly, are you ready and able to give a reason for the faith that is within you? Based on actual truth and not just off-pad answers that you've thought up. Luke will challenge you to that. Are you a ready and able witness to what Jesus is doing? Are you a reliable witness to the work of Jesus Christ? Not just from what you've read in the Bible, but from the work He's doing in you now. Can you tell others? Are you able to? And do you tell others about Christ's work now? Are you a reliable witness for Him, like Luke was so long ago? See, Christianity is not a matter of cunningly devised myths as we've been accused of being, but it rests on solid historical fact. In the past, here's the important one, but now in your life too, Christianity lives through you as well. And do you tell people around you about it? And as you go through Luke, you will experience the comfort of knowing that all history, including your own life, is the fulfillment of God's plan already made for you and for this earth. And he will do it in such a way as to not cancel human responsibility. We are not robots, but God has a plan. He knows where he's taking us, 
And we will discover that as we look at the teachings of Jesus, because he speaks about it often in the book of Luke. And as you read more of Jesus' life and his dealings with people, the way he reacted to opposition, as you grapple with the truths that he speaks about, as you learn to understand his teaching and it enters your mind and it changes the way you think, you'll you will be challenged by the Holy Spirit as He brings that truth alive in you. But just not just that, you will also, and here's a warning for you, you will also experience pain. Because when the Holy Spirit uses truth, He uses the truth as a surgical knife in us. And sometimes it cuts. And with cutting comes pain. And so be prepared when you are confronted by truth for pain. We need to know that. It is going to come. But also, you will experience joy as you read truth and you know, this has happened in my life. I've seen this in my life. This is real. You will experience joy. And that is a joy that will be put into you because you will realize that you are slowly being changed into the image of the Son, Jesus Christ Himself. You see, it was a dream and ambition of every disciple in the New Testament. To become like their master, like their teacher. And I want to ask you, as we go through the book of Luke, and as we are confronted by the teacher Jesus, the Son of God, and as He walks alongside of you and I, is it your ambition to be just like Him? Or are there other things that you would rather do? Do you want to be just like Jesus Christ? You see, as you walk alongside Jesus Christ and as He walks alongside and in you, and as you continually compare yourself to Jesus Christ, you're going to realize why He had to come. He had to come to live, to die and to rise in your place. Never mind everyone else that's described in the Bible. He had to come for you because without Him you would be lost. And I pray that that is a realization you have as you get to know this Jesus Christ, the one around whom our faith is centered. Without Him, we have no faith. Are you up for the challenge of Luke? Will you read through the book with me? And let's see what God does through this series. Let's pray. Lord, our Heavenly Father, we want to thank you in advance for every single book of the Bible that you've given to us because they all contain truth. But Lord, very specifically this morning, we want to say thank you for this book which describes with so great accuracy the life of our Lord and Savior, Jesus. And that that tells us about his teachings. And the way we are to live. And how we are to be confronted with the truth of living before you and living holy lives before you. And Lord, I pray that even now you would already start preparing our hearts for the truth that you will challenge us with. And that as we continue through this book, we will continually be confronted by aspects of our lives which are not the same as that of Jesus. And that, Lord, your Spirit would do your work 
so that we can be changed to be like your son. Lord, we want it as our ambition to be like our master, Jesus. But Lord, we, need, we know that we need to go through a surgical procedure for them. We need to be cut by your spirit. We need to be encouraged by your spirit. We need to be healed by your spirit. And then changed by your spirit to be made like you. Do your work, we pray. And then continue to use us as a church in this community for your glory. Amen.